Acts chapter 25. <clears throat> Getting close to the end of the book of Acts. If there's a book maybe you'd like to go through, you might let me know. Write it down or come by, tell me or something. If there's one in particular you'd like to maybe do a study on, we could look at doing that on a Wednesday night. Not quite sure, even after 31 years of ministry, if I'm ready to do Leviticus. But... Uh, <laughs> Maybe we will do a study, though, one of these times on the feasts and the uh, festivals. They, uh, it, it is amazing how those feasts, so much of that points you to Christ. And so we'll, uh, maybe we'll look at doing something like that one of these days, too. So, But tonight, I want to get into chapter 25 and 26 tonight with Paul. We're, we're dealing with the... Uh, the circus of a court that we might uh, see here in the way that they were treating uh, Paul, much like the way that they were treating Jesus and uh, all the false accusations. And here we see Paul continues to deal with that. If you recall now from all we've looked at, Paul has been taken from Jerusalem for his own safety. And if you recall, there were 40-some men that had made a vow that they would not sleep until they were able to kill Paul. Uh, Paul's own nephew had uh, told the, the main soldier about that, the centurion, and so he had taken Paul and, and moved him to Caesarea, and so it was there that uh, he had met up with Felix, and uh, Felix was the governor of the, at the time, and and uh, so he had heard the, the charges against him, and, and Felix, being the great politician that he was, had uh, uh, trying to figure out a way that he could make the Jews happy, but also knowing that, that Paul, being a Roman citizen, he would be in jeopardy if he uh, allowed them to kill Paul. So he was kind of in a fix there and, and didn't know what to do as a politician, and so what he did was... He goes out of office in the end of chapter 24, and to keep the Jews happy, he just left Paul in jail and uh, under arrest and thought he would do the, the thing that most do today. He just passes the buck on to the next politician, who the next governor is Festus. And so that's the new governor is Festus, and that's where we're at in chapter 25. It's really hard I, I don't know where your guys' minds go. You know, maybe mine's just a little immature, but it's really hard to have have any kind of respect for a guy by the name of Festus because I see Festus from Gunsmoke when I see this. You know, it's just, you know, Festus and his mule. And so I'm, but Festus is a politician, and, and oh, is he a politician too? We'll, we'll see that as we get into this. But the thing that we... We see with this also, all through this entire trial, we see the character of Paul and, and how he withstood a lot of uh, accusations against him. And here in the first seven verses, we see that constant attack coming at him again. Now when Festus was coming to the province after three days, he ascended from Caesarea 
to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him and desired, and desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept, over, kept at Caesarea and that he himself would depart shortly thither. That Let them therefore, said he, which among you are able, go down with me and accuse this man, if there be any wickedness in him. And when he had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down unto Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. And when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. And so here we see this, this constant uh, uh, battle that, that has been going on now. And, and I'm not exactly sure how much time has taken place now. We know that when he had defended himself in front of Felix, that he had only been there a, a couple of weeks, 12 days actually, when he had dealt with that, and then uh, from there had moved him, and, and so now we have the transfer of power from uh, Felix to Festus, and so I'm not sure how much time has gone by now, but sometime, and so we see that, that uh, Festus, the new governor, you would think maybe they'd let it die, but these Jews are not going to let this die, and so they, they're, they're going to go after Paul, and so they continue this constant attack on his life. And, you know, I, I, I always try to internalize this in my own life and think, how would I handle things like this? And how, how am I going to do if, if these kind of challenges ever come in my life? And, and we have the examples laid for us here. We have Paul that shows us the character that we ought to have in those challenging times. You remember Job made this statement whenever uh, he was in the middle of losing everything and, and uh, his friends were telling him how that he obviously wasn't right with God and, and, and that uh, he needed to repent of some things. And, but this is what Job said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. And, and so we see the importance in knowing that, that there are trials in our lives and there are times where we're going to be tested. And there are times where people are going to slander us and... and and they're going to go after us, and, and we need to understand that, that it ultimately it is a spiritual battle, and that, that we need to, to look to God and, and, and respond in a godly manner. Peter even made the statement in First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 13. He said, well, verse 12, starting, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice. Inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or an evildoer, or a busybody in other men's matters, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God 
commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. You remember Timothy, uh, or Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, those who live godly will suffer persecution. I mean, that, that's just a, a part of, of what we're living in today and, and the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the culture that we're in today. And, you know, Heidi, give an example of that today. Just some, some little nonsense things at school and challenges that come up and, and, and our, our culture today. And, and, and so we just need to be asking God to, to work in our hearts and strengthen our faith and, and be like a Paul or be like a Job or be like a Peter who, who can rejoice in those times whenever we're being persecuted. And, and here, the constant attack, it didn't slow down and it didn't stop, it just keeps going and keeps building. And, but God had, had encouraged Paul at just the right time. I'm, I'm certain that, that the two different times where we see in the book of Acts where, where it makes the statement where God came to Paul and talked to him and encouraged him, I'm sure it was at a time where it was pretty dark in, in Paul's mind. And I'm sure it was probably a real challenge going on in his life at that time. And that's when God came to him and encouraged him. And oh, how we need to listen and, and do the, the same kind of response. And, and so that's what we see now in verses 8 through 12, that consistent response that Paul never changes. This is the response. While he answered for himself, neither against the, the uh, law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against uh, Caesar, have I offended anything at all. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Will thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of those things before me? Then said Paul, See, you know, he already knows what's right. There, there, is no, there has been zero proof ultimately he needs to say, let him go. But he still wants to make the Jews happy because he knows that the Jews are a ruling class, the, the leaders of the Jews, and he knows that being a governor, he's going to have problems. And, and so to, to do the right thing is, is just another matter in his own mind. He, he, he's here looking politically. And so he says, Paul, would you mind that we go back up to Jerusalem and be tried? Oh, I know there's 40 some guys that have said that they've made a vow that they're going to kill you, but I'm Festus and, and I'm a politician and really your life really doesn't matter. I'm just trying to make everybody happier. That's more or less what he's doing. Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong as thou very well knowest. I, I like that too. He wasn't afraid to point out the, the hypocrisy at times. Or if I be an offender, if I committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things where they, these accuse me, no man can deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, As thou appealed unto Caesar, unto Caesar shall thou go. And so here, and, and, and Paul knew, he knew the ultimate goal was to get to Rome. It was there that that he wanted to witness and, and uh, see the believers once again. And, and it was there that God said, you will uh, praise me in, in Rome and I will use you there. And so he just continued to be consistent. And, and then all through the rest of this chapter, and, and uh, I, I guess it's just that mood, but I titled the rest of this chapter, The Conniving Politician. 
And uh, we do see that. And so, and after certain days, King Agrippa and Bernice came unto Caesarea to salute Festus. And so now, uh, uh, King Agrippa, um, uh, we have, um, is King Agrippa II, who was the son of Agrippa I, who was back in Acts chapter 12. We know that King Agrippa's wife, uh, um, uh, Bernice, is the sister. I mean, it's all, it, it, it's all messed up, all right? Because I, I had to write it down. King Agrippa II was a son of King Agrippa I in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Bernice is a sister of Agrippa II. Or, no, I think, I think she's the sister of King Agrippa. I think he married his aunt or somebody. I, you know, the, the kings were all messed up, all right? And, and, and ungodly, and their, their family tree, you know, was one branch, all right? So <clears throat> anyway, got a little confusing. I had to write it down, all right? And I still, after I wrote it down, I'm looking at it, I don't know if I wrote it down right or not, you know? But I can just tell you that they're, they don't branch out much in their family tree, all right? And, and so we're, and, and they were ungodly also. But anyway, so they came to, because Festus was being brought in as the new governor and King Agrippa had been appointed by the leaders in Rome. And so he's coming to make a big deal of this. And when they had been there many days, Festus declared Paul's cause unto the king, saying, there's a certain man left in bonds by Felix. Now, Agrippa had been king for a while, so he thought, well, hey, I can take it to the king. He can kind of give me some better advice, maybe what I ought to do. About whom, when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me, desiring to have judgment against him. To whom I answered, it is not the manner of the Romans to deliver any man to die before that which he is, which is accused have the accusers face to face and have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him. And I'm not going to read it all because I want to finish up in chapter 26 too. But here he goes in and he explains what's going on. And then it says in verse 22, Then Agrippa said unto Festus, I would also hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, thou shalt hear him. And on the morrow, when Agrippa was come, and Bernice with great pomp, and was entered into the place of hearing with the chief captains and principal men of the city at Festus's commandment, Paul was brought forth. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all men which are here present with us, ye see this man about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me both at Jerusalem and also here, crying that he ought not to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I have determined to send him, of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord, wherefore I have brought him forth before you. Do, do you get that? He said, I don't even know why we're sending him. I don't have anything to write. I, I, there's... There's no legal accusations here being made for him to even be on trial. And under Roman law, there is nothing that he's guilty of. Wherefore, I brought him forth before you. And the only reason he's keeping him there is to make the Jews happy. And especially before thee, O King Agrippa, that after examination had, I might have somewhat to write. For it seemeth to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not withal to signify the crimes laid against him. Well, because you don't have any. 
And so the, the conniving politician, all right? But in chapter 26, and that's where I want to spend the rest of our time, is I titled this The Courageous Apostle. First of all, even with all the shenanigans that they were, we see in the first three verses that Paul was still respectful. It said, Then Agrippa said to, unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa because I shall answer for myself this day before thee touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. So he did know King Agrippa. He knew the first one. He knows this one. He knows that this man has been around the, the Jewish culture and and knows that he's very well aware of the teaching of the Jews, and knows uh, about the, the temple, knows about uh, the Jewish laws and the Jewish customs, and, and here he is very respectful whenever he went in front of, uh, of this king and, and who is an unbeliever. And, but then we see that he does so because now we see him have the opportunity, once again, in, in his courage, to give his testimony. And, and here, giving it to the king himself. And, and, and he goes into this and he explains this. And, and, and I think that, that when, when we read this, I know that the, remember when he wrote to the, to the Ephesians and, and while he was there in Ephesus, there were some real challenges while he was there. But one of the things that always jumps out at me in, in Ephesians chapter 6, when he's closing out his letter to them and and he says in verse 18, he says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And then, so he says, I'm praying for all of you guys, and, but I'm asking you also, because in verse 19 he says, And for me, that utterance, and that, that's words and boldness and confidence, may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So I'm asking that, that the words that, that, that I have will, will be bold and courageous in telling people the truth. And, and here I believe that we see the answer to the Ephesians as they prayed for Paul to have boldness in speaking and preaching and giving the gospel. Well, now we see that. Here he is in the front of a court where could decide whether he lives or dies. And, and in this, he gives his testimony. And so we... We think about the courage that he has, and, and he says, My manner of life for my youth, which was at the first among my own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come, for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I'm accused of the Jews. So now he says, my, the, the first uh, accusation is, is here. You need to realize that, that these Jews know me and they know that I came from, from a family that was very straight and orderly as a Jew. And, and I was a, a, even a Pharisee of that. And, and, and just as they are, are wanting and, and hoping one day to, to be able to stand in front of their God, the, the, our Father, that... Here I am doing exactly that, and, 
and, and, and knowing that one day we'll stand there and, and I'm being accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. He said, I know where these guys are at, and I understand where they're at, and I was wrong in what I was doing, and, 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 they're, and ultimately he's saying they're wrong in what they're doing. They need to rethink this Jesus of Nazareth, and they, they need to rethink some of the things that, that they're doing, and he said, and I punished them oft in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities, whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. When we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will deliver unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. I, I, as you read this and, and you give thought to probably the, the second best soul winner in, in all of history of the world, we have Jesus being the best soul winner in, in all of the world. And, and you read uh, in John chapter 3 and go through the Gospels and hear Jesus and, and how he witnesses and, and brings people to himself and, and perfect in how he does it. But here we have a man like us that, that, that has made mistakes and, and made bad choices along the way. And, and here he says, I know where they are and I know what they've done and, because I've done the very same thing. And, and, and here I am, I'm telling you that, that God came to me. Jesus came to me and showed me that he is the Messiah, that he has shown me that we were wrong in this, and, and, and he's shown me that, that I need to tell them to, to, to see and understand who Jesus is so that they open their eyes and they turn them from darkness to light and, and from the power of Satan unto God. And do you realize that the, the only one thing that truly challenges and, and upsets religion is a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's why all these religions hate Christianity, because it isn't a religion. It's all about Jesus, and, and it's all about our God who, who walked on earth and, and who walks with us today and, 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 and wants us to talk to him and, and, and converse with him and, and show us that, oh, there is something far better than what any of this world can ever provide and that we don't need to fall in love with any of this whatsoever here. We need to fall in love with our Savior and, and walk with him and, and, and see that our eyes can be opened and, and we can see past the material and beyond the physical and, and know and understand there's an eternal that, 
that is waiting for us. And oh, here we, we see how, how, how powerful this is. And, and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins. And religion never teaches that. And, and religion never gives you that assurance of your salvation. You just have to keep doing and doing and doing and, and always wondering and fretting and, and hoping that you've done enough to, to appease a God that, that they have sitting somewhere that like some ogre waiting to strike you to, to death. And, and here is a God that, that we serve today that doesn't want us to live like that, but wants us to live under the full assurance of our salvation and, and the promise of eternity and, and the goodness of that, that he is and shares it with us and, and know that we can have forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. King Agrippa, if you would have seen what I saw, you would be doing the very same thing. I'm not going to be disobedient to what God showed me. And he came and showed me in, in, in his magnificent glory and showed uh, first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both the small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and these should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles." And I couldn't, I couldn't imagine how powerful that must have been when he witnessed the King Agrippa. I can't imagine the soldiers that were standing there and maybe trying to hide the conviction in their own hearts and the Jews that were listening to some of this and becoming madder and madder because their blindness and their hatred towards that one Savior. But then we see how he compels even King Agrippa to come and place his faith in Christ as a Savior. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. So he's not saying that he's mad like angry, but you're mad like you're crazy. That's what he's saying. Paul, you're crazy in the things that you're saying. Paul said, no, I'm telling you the truth. It's very sober in what I'm telling you. For the king knoweth of these things. And see, I like this too. He doesn't waste his time on the naysayer. He doesn't pat, cast his pearl before swine and, and then argue with Festus and, and lose track of what he's about here. He's, he's going after King Agrippa. He's... he's preaching to King Agrippa during this time and Festus trying to make a scene here and Paul comes back and, and he goes back and directs it back to Agrippa for the king knoweth of these things before whom also I speak freely for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him for this thing was not done in a corner. Oh, King Agrippa, you've heard about this and, and you know even the Jews are looking for the Messiah. Well, 
King, I'm telling you that the Messiah has come and his name is Jesus. And, and I know that none of this is in a corner somewhere and, and has been hidden from you. You've heard about all of these things. And King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? Do, do you not believe? Do you, do you believe what the prophets have told you? And I know that thou believest. I, I know that you had to believe this. You've, you've heard these things. And then Agrippa said to Paul, saddest testimony in all the scripture. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, oh, I would to God. And not only thou, but also all that hear me this day. We're both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. When he had thus spoken, the king rose up, and the governor and Bernice, and they that sat with them, and when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doth nothing worthy of death or bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. Well, God has bigger plans. God's going to take a courageous apostle and who's not afraid to die and going to use him one more time on his final missionary journey. He's going to go to Rome. You know, it tells us that while he's there and before he dies, that even some of the very family members of Caesar trust Christ as their Savior while he's there. How powerful is that? Just because one man has the courage to share the gospel and stand for what's right and always be consistent. Let us be that. Let us be used like Paul. Let us share the gospel. Let us love our God and nothing changes from doing so. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. How powerful a statement we saw Paul give. And Lord, I thank you for recording that for all of us to hear. You inspired him. And Lord, you preserved those words forever. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the testimony of Paul. I thank you how you took a murderer and you saved him and you used him powerfully to share the gospel. I pray that you'd take us as broken vessels that we are and mend us, restore us, and use us. Guide us, Father. Bless this evening. Take us home safely. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.